our vision is, is goes much further now. You know, we're trying to improve cities. We're trying to make them more human, more more recyclable. You know? And we're trying to think how we could build a, a community from, from this, right? How can we gather people? Welcome to La Wagon Live. This week, we are joined by Xavier Peach. Xavier is the co-founder and CEO of Smart Halo, a connected device that helps you cycle smarter. He created the company with the hope to change cities and make them greener and more human. In this talk, Xavier recalls the beginning of Smart Halo, which he launched with only $25. At first, the idea was to provide navigation for cyclists and then enable them to track down a stolen bicycle. Today, Smart Halo provides advanced features without overwhelming cyclists who need to focus on the many challenges of urban environments. Uh, we had the initial idea about four years ago. Um, I was telling Brett a bit earlier, um, I was with a friend of mine uh, in, in Philadelphia and um, we were just on a road trip with, with friends and uh, I had just, you know, I was telling him a story about how I was cycling in Montreal and I, I you know, I usually know where I'm going, but, you know, I also use it as, as, as my main mode of transportation and I was cycling with my phone in my hand and I dropped my phone while, while cycling. And I felt really dumb because my phone wasn't working afterwards. And about two weeks after that, that happened, um, my, my bike got stolen. And, you know, it, it felt terrible. And also I didn't cycle for like a few weeks, you know, until I got a new bike. And I was telling this story to, to a few friends and, you know, most of them told me, oh yeah, this happened to me as well. It sucks. And, you know, I didn't think that that was okay, you know, that, was, that, that wasn't right. And so I was in, in Philadelphia with my friend and I was, you know, telling him this, this story. And we decided that we would, you know, not go out of the bar until we figure out a good business idea to launch with this problem. So we stayed in that bar until we came out with what would become Smart Halo. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a circle. It wasn't called Smart Halo, but it was, you know, we wanted to build something with uh, at the intersection of technology and cycling and, you know, what can we do with the fact that everybody has phones right now in, in their pockets? What, what does this enable, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess that was the, the genesis. Uh, so I don't know if any of you have read about Smart Halo, it's a uh, connected device uh, for cyclists. It looks like this, actually, I'm gonna turn the demo mode on. Of course, when I show it, it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, okay. right, okay. Um, so it's uh, something that you put on your handlebar, it will fit, you know, 99% of, of bicycles. It connects with your phone and then it does a bunch of things for you. So it uh, will you know, give you turn-by-turn -turn directions uh, to your destination. So you basically enter where you want to go in your app and then this will show you how to get there turn-by-turn. -turn. So it's a bit like a GPS, but we, you know, we try to rethink what the GPS could be for bicycles because you know, when you're in a car, yes, you could, I guess, you know, put your phone there, but on a bicycle, you don't have anything to really hold it properly. Uh, so we wanted to reinvent what an interface could look like. So this is how we came up with, with a circle. Like initially we thought, oh, it could be left and right. Uh, but then we, we thought, hey, in, in some places, left and right just don't work. It needs to be like in diagonal. And from my experience living in Europe a few years ago, I remember that sometimes there's a few diagonal options, right? So it needs to be really precise, uh, yet at the same time, it needs to be um, simple enough that you know you just look at it and then you, you get it. So you're not distracted by, by this interface. Um, 
we want to solve the problem of, hey, I don't want to get my bike stolen anymore. So we thought, hey, what could we invent? And the initial idea was like, okay, let's build something that allows you to f track down your stolen bicycle. And while it like it looks attractive, in fact, you know, you don't want to go with a baseball bat and try to find that person who stole your bike, right? You just want to prevent your bike from getting stolen in the first place. So we thought, hey, how could we build this? So we thought, hey, let's build a sensor instead. This device should have a sensor. And if your phone isn't there, meaning you're not around, then if somebody tampers with your bike, then it should trigger automatically. If, if that's you taking your bike, then nothing should happen, right? And that's a really like strong insight that we had initially, like users should not have to think about technology. Users should just cycle, right? We don't want to make this more complicated. We want to remove barriers um, that prevent people from cycling. You know, we want to make it easier, right? So we, we came up with this alarm system idea. And then another thing that we noticed is, hey, if I leave my, my cheap you know, front light on my bicycle, somebody will steal it from me. And you know, the cars in the street right now, like they park and they're not removing their tires or removing their lights. They just leave them on the car. Right, so we thought, hey, like, can we do something that you know this device stays there and actually, you know, it's not stealable and it stays there and you don't have to think about again technology or you know, you just get to your bike, the light turns on, the alarm system deactivates, you know, and if you put your destination, well, automatically will start showing you how to get there. So, I guess that's a, like the long story short. Do you remember when you were at that bar and like some of the failure ideas that you came up with? <laughs> I guess initially, you know, it was like two lights, you know, and the, the, the dumb first idea was like LED, LED++, because those would be LEDs. Uh, you know, I, I was just at the time playing with Arduinos and trying to see like what we could build. So I guess that was just the first idea. And we ended up prototyping with Arduino a lot. Um, like I wrote the first firmware for this thing. <laughs> like. It's great because I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm, I'm not the best, you know. <laughs> I discovered I can do other things, uh, but uh, it's okay to try stuff and and try to do it yourself initially. So you and your buddy kind of conceived of the idea. How did the initial team form after that? My buddy and myself, like he's a he's a like a graphic designer, he's a UX designer, and I I was just out of uh, you know political science <laughs> master, right? So I can't do anything. Um, so we figured, hey, this is a cool idea. Maybe we should try to get some you know technical people to join us as co-founders. So we uh, we had a friend of ours who was a, um, a industrial designer. So we thought, hey, that's you know that's great. You can probably design some stuff, uh, and he has a three D printer. And like, wow, a three D printer! Like, can, what can we do with that? Like, can we just print it, you know, and just sell a bunch of those? And that was really naive. Of course, you can't manufacture with three D printers, not yet, at least. But um, back then, it seemed plausible. Um, and then we thought, okay, we need to do like some sort of circuit in there. I guess we could just put. Arduinos, but it will be expensive. So we need to design our own circuit. Um, so we need to find out, we need to find a, a you know electrical engineer. And our first guest was this guy we knew from high school. He wasn't like our friend or anything, but he was like an electrical engineer. So we, you know, called him and like, hey, you wanna do this? He's like, sure, let's do it. And, and then the only thing is I live in Boston. So we're like, 
Yeah. How bad could that be? You know, we just go to Boston from time to time. That's going to be fine. That was a bad idea, you know. <laughs> so we, you know, we tried to work with him for a few weeks and we realized it was not, you know, not the best idea we had. So we decided that it made no sense and he agreed. So we just, you know, went our own ways. And then we, um, we stumbled upon uh, this other guy who's awesome and his name is Olivier who joined us and um, he was a, a student at ETS back then um, he's actually still a student at ETS because he never has time to do any of his courses because he's working all the time with us um, so yeah we started with you know this poor people team uh, we started you know drawing trying to print stuff on, on 3d printers uh, did some loops uh, with Arduino um, you know writing in C um, we we hired uh, some this this young girl who was doing an internship with us like she was looking for an internship like sure you know <laughs> yeah why not you know and uh, so she built the 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 whole uh, the, the whole uh, iOS app so the first app we had initially uh, she, I mean she built it all uh, and this you know took us all the way to the Kickstarter campaign that we did in 2015 so you know we had no money we had no skills and uh, you know we just had you know we just wanted to do this so and. Uh, it's possible, right? Uh, we started the company and we needed to put some money in the bank to start the company. And uh, all we had was about $25 each. So that's what we started with. So the, the initial capital in the corporation is a whole, you know, 100 bucks. Um, and we, you know, we ran with that for a while until like we exhausted the $100. Um, and, and then we, we won some pitch competition. Um, there's uh, one called the Aux Entreprendre uh, in Quebec. Um, we were like, you know, okay, but we were not really good. So we made it to the the local. So we were the best in like Montreal East for technology, <laughs> like in some very niche category. And but yeah, we won a thousand dollars, which was way more than we had, you know, ever got before. Um, and then we somehow managed to get a, a grant from uh, HSC because two of the partners were HSC students at the time. So sure, we'll take it, you know, and, and, you know, this got us a little bit further until we could, you know, have something, a prototype that was sort of looking all right. It wasn't working, okay, it wasn't working, but it was looking good and we could shoot a video with it. So we, we had some friends who um, were really, really kind to just do this for us. And we did a video that, you know, looked all right. My girlfriend was pedaling on the video, um, which most of the success is to her, actually. And um, so we did this Kickstarter campaign and it went, you know, way more, you know, way higher than we expected. So we wanted to raise $67,000, which we thought would be enough to do the project. That was super, super naive. There was zero chance we would do the project with $67,000. The good news is we got to $500,000. Uh, and then, you know, at the end of the campaign, after like 30 days, we're like, wow, I've never seen that much money in a bank account <laughs> before. Uh, like that's, that was way more than, the, than we expected. And with that, we could actually hire more people to, to build this stuff because it, it's really, really, really tough to build, you know, Hardware, software, firmware, cloud, and, you know, you have to start selling it. And, and I guess the whole idea since the beginning was to try to sell something that didn't exist. Um, because otherwise, how do you do it? You know, when we first won that pitch competition, you know, I, I had this really ugly prototype, but I was showing it, you know, and it, the light was sort of working. And, and I was pitching what it was going to be, you know, and it wasn't there yet, but it's sort of, you know, 
show where you're going and then maybe people you know maybe you can convince a few people so your vision back then like really portrayed what was going to happen and got you the funding and at least made people believe in you i mean in in hindsight yes everything was planned like when i'm i was in there i had no idea what i was doing mm -hmm. to be to be honest uh, and also like i would say our vision back then was was a bit simpler you know like we wanted to build this device for cyclists yeah. right uh, since then, you know, we, we've thought about this a while, right? You know, we, I think about this stuff all the time, I guess. And, and our vision is, is, goes much further now. You know, we're trying to improve cities. We're trying to, uh, to, to make them more human, more, more cyclable, you know. Yeah. And, and we're trying to think how we could build a, a community from, from this, right? How can we gather people? And we're trying to build a sort of ways for cycling. And honestly, we were not thinking of this initially when we mm -hmm. first thought of, of Smart Hill. So if that was your vision back then, what's your vision now moving forward? So the plan for uh, for this year uh, and, and, and next year is uh, we want to invest out in, in software development. So what's neat about connected devices is that you can always improve them. Um, so we released this this product on the market. We started selling it. We started shipping like about a year ago. But since then, we've made updates to software, to the app and to the firmware, so the, the software that runs inside. Um, and about every month, there's a new update. So it's a product that lives, so we can always improve it. And, and now what we're really trying to push is we want to make our users um, like give us back information about the state of transit. Is the road blocked? We want to know. Are there cops hiding, giving tickets? We want to know. You know. So that the app can tell other cyclists what's going to happen, right? And then then when you're building network effects into your product, this is when it becomes really powerful, I guess. And then, you know, we're thinking about Smart Halo 2, uh, so I can't, I can't say anything about it, but it's going to be awesome. Top and, um, secret. Yeah, top secret. <laughs> top secret, awesome. And yeah, the plan is to release it next year. Uh, more features, you know, less expensive, more of everything. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be awesome. And that's just the application? Like... And, and the hardware as well, right? So hardware. we want to, to, you know, we've, we've found some shortcomings of, of, of the of the hardware. Um, I guess, you know, when, when you're building an app or just software, you can really iterate super fast. And I guess you could be pushing code every day, you know, to production if you wanted. Um, we can't push our new hardware every day, right? Just there's tooling and it's madly expensive. Uh, so you need to be really careful about, you know, your production batches. Uh, so it makes everything slower, you know? Um, the good thing is that we can still update some things, you know. But for instance, um, the front light—it's not the best front light out there. There are stronger lights on the market, you know. Um, I wish it was better, you know. But now there's nothing I can do because the the whole circuit is designed in a way that I can't really change it easily. So, all right, you know, we'll just gate it there and then move on to the next product next year. But in the meantime, there's other things we can do. And like the software platform that we want to build, that's going to stay. So that's going to be consistent across devices. So you're still going to use just one app, no matter what hardware you're using. So you had kind of an intimate team when you first started, but how's that team grown and some of the roles you started to implement as your as Smart Halo grew? I guess there's even more variety in, in the team now. So the, of course there's developers, but uh, it's not, you know, we're not a, a team of 90% developers. There's about a third of developers. And there's, uh, you know, uh, we used to have more hardware engineers. 
uh, after the, the first product was finished, some of them decided to move on, which is totally fine. Uh, we have, you know, marketers, we have uh, product managers, you know, product managers, they will be like sort of the interface between marketing and, and software in a sense. So like basically they try to, to be the voice of the customer so that we know what features we should be implementing next, right? Um, we have people selling to distributors. So initially we, t we sold just on Kickstarter and then we sold on, on our website. Um, and then we started selling uh, to stores, right? Because uh, e-commerce is, is great, but it's still like less than 10% of world commerce, right? So it's still very, very small. Um, this year, for instance, we expect 75% of our sales to come from retailers and distribution and, you know, so last year we, we uh, were, I guess, super lucky uh, and we managed to make a deal with Apple uh, to sell in their stores. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, if this thing doesn't work out in the end, like I'm still going to put that in my CV. <laughs> um, so How did you even make that deal happen? Like I don't know. I was like, wow, I don't know. Super lucky. So I, we were working with um, some people in the States who have like some relationships um, with, with retailers uh, so we you know they're sort of part of the team so we pay them a recurring fee every month and they they had one experience of entering a apple stores and it was the the the, the headphones by a well i am so like he's like this sort of like super famous rapper <laughs> so super famous rapper and us like managed to get into the apple store uh and you know that was a great deal for us because it really gave us credibility um you know, it's a sort of a stamp of approval. So some doors that we were trying to open uh, that, you know, just wouldn't open after the Apple deal, they were like, eh, you know what, maybe, you know, what, what's new at Smart Halo? Like maybe we're interested, you know, in the end. So it, it made things easier. Um, it's not like Apple is not a channel that will bring, you know, millions of sales because people go there to buy iPhones and iPads. Um, but during the Christmas season, for instance, there's so many, you know, so many people go there. There's so much foot traffic uh, and it's a great place to give gifts. So like there was a lot of gift things. Uh, so for us, it, it worked great. I would say January, February, March, we're barely making in sales at Apple, but that's fine. That's fine because now, you know, Summer is kicking in and, and also it allows us to open more doors. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would do this again anytime. How do you deal with like the manu manufacturing end, like where it slows down in the beginning of the year, but really revs up going towards Christmas? Yeah, that's really hard. Um, like I would say ramping up production was really, really tough. First, because we had you know, never done this before. And also we were, you know, we wanted to release as soon as possible because we were late already, you know. Yeah. We had promised our Kickstarter backers to ship this in May of 2016. And we ended up shipping to the earliest people on Kickstarter, like on, in May 2017. So yeah, you know, we were a solid year late. So we were really, you know, hungry to, to ship this thing. And, and so we went into production with a circuit which we realized a bit after that had major issues. <laughs> so basically the, the circuit would just reset for no reason. Sometimes we don't know why. And got to the bottom of it. <laughs> I, I mean, we figured a way to, to, to repair it, but that yeah. meant repairing every single circuit manually. Oh wow. It, it was like <laughs> terrible, work. you know, and 
and that's what we did you know not oh, people yeah. in the office but you know the, our factory they just charge us an extra amount per unit to like basically repair it wow. and it meant like cutting some traces on the circuit and adding some condensators and but then it worked <laughs> so we just went along with that and at some point you know we production was started to ramp up and we just redesigned the circuit to to fix this problem but I remember the first time we shipped units, we had 7,000 orders at the time, and the first batch was 70 units, and I was like, wow, we've shipped 1%. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we, we did manage to ship everything, so I'm really oh, happy, um, but it took, it, it took a long time. Uh, also, we, we were running out of cash all the time, yeah. uh, and that was a bottleneck, uh, I guess, you know, when you can't pay suppliers, and they're like, sure, you know, we want to produce, but we don't have the components because you haven't paid the supplier, and, and you know. You also, like, the Kickstarter was global too, right? Like Kickstarter was global, and... You know, we we didn't try to to target any specific regions, so we just you know just went like, okay, we'll find the early adopters of this tech wherever they are. Like, if they're in Germany, sure, you know, and we have you know now we have clients in seventy countries. Uh, you know, admittedly, some places we have like one user, but I'll take <laughs> it. Um, so we not, did not try to, to target some countries. Now like, we're going to be more strategic about, the, the, you know, about marketing for the next year. But initially, we just said we're going to take the cheaper clicks on Facebook. And like, we're just going to try to get you know, cheap conversion rates wherever they are. Yeah. And on Kickstarter, it was really crazy how good the conversion was. Like, we were putting $1 on Kickstarter. We would make 15 in sales. Wow. And when I realized that I was just trying to put as much money as I could in there, but we had no credit card back then because no bank would you know, give us a credit card. So we yeah. just were using our own credit cards. And then at some point I was just using mine and I called the bank, can you increase the limit? <laughs> I know I'm spending like a madman right now, but I need this, it's working. And they did, so oh, nice. I don't know. I, I, we put, um, and during the Kickstarter campaign, we put, I don't know, maybe like, 20 or 30,000, which seemed like a lot of money back then, yeah. you know. Um, they made over 500,000. Yeah, I mean, like... the, the ROI was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem with Kickstarter, and it's something that you don't really realize when you're doing it because you get revenue right away, is Kickstarter is, is debt, meaning you owe units to people, right? And it, it might seem like some very niche accounting distinction, but it's not recognized as revenue in your uh, financial statements. It's not revenue. It means it, it goes in, in, in your liabilities because you owe something to people. So yes, I mean, you have the cash, it's there in the cash line, but it's not in the revenue line, right? Um, and, and, and that's a problem because you try to go to banks or anywhere and nobody will loan to you because you don't have revenues. And you're like, but these guys, I mean, I've got 500,000 dollars from pre-sales, but then yeah. pre-sales are not sales, right? And that is a dis distinction that I, I guess I, I would have wanted to know back then. Yeah. Uh, I probably st still would have done a Kickstarter campaign, but it, it's important to understand that because basically you use this money that you get from Kickstarter for, for development to finish your, your product. And then you arrive at the end of your cycle, you need to produce. And then, but well, you don't have any more money, right? You need to produce, but where are you gonna take this money? And you still, you know, owe those units. There's people ordering from your website every day, and there's distributors asking 
to distribute it. And you're sort of in a valley of death. <laughs> and, you know, there's a reason why so many Kickstarter companies don't make it, you know, because this valley of death is so hard and it's so deep. So you're happy to kind of transition out of there and straight into the Apple store? <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, we're like really lucky. There's some things we did. I mean, we made so many errors, but there's not that many companies actually the, the more you raise on kickstarter the harder it becomes to fulfill yeah there's definitely like they always talk about raising enough money or raising as much money as possible for a startup so yeah you kind of you kind of fell in between like so if you look at, at newspaper articles in 2014 15 like all the press is about wow this kickstarter campaign is you know raising so much money and then you look in 2016 17 it's all about wow another kickstarter failure you yeah. know and i think we arrived just at the right time for kickstarter like right now the there's lots of people who wouldn't back again not because of us, I think we did all right, but there's lots of campaigns that never delivered, you know? It, and it's frustrating for people who don't really get that Kickstarter is not a store and this is not Amazon and you're backing something that has great chances of not working. Yeah, definitely. So a little bit on uh, the design of the product, what uh, made you go the more minimalist route than actually doing like a, a display and everything? I guess we, we looked at what was in the market out there already. Um, and if you, if you are right now, if you type bike computer on Google images or bike GPS, it's so ugly. It's so <laughs> ugly. It's just like a bunch of like blackberries for your phone. It's terrible. Yeah. You know? And, and we did not want to do this, you know, uh, the, the, the products that exist um, that look like that, that are computers with a screen and a map, and just, they're built for people who train cycling, you know? Yeah. People who train to, you know, they want to measure their heart rate, and I don't care about <laughs> that. I mean, there are people who they, they dress up and they cycle with their friend, and that's great for them. I just don't care. I, I care about mobility. I care about transport. Uh, and I want to make cities better, and I think Cycling is a great way to do that. Um, so using the interface um, of existing products just didn't make sense. So we needed to really reinvent what it could mean. And, you know, when you look at the initial Fitbit or uh, the Misfit or the first iPhone, like there yeah. was this idea that less is more. And that was, you know, that really inspired us. And speaking of Blackberries, um, you support Android and uh, iOS but do you have plans in the future for nope. BlackBerry <laughs> Windows phones? I didn't think so. I mean, some people wrote to us during the Kingstown campaign asking for a, for Windows phone. Yeah. <laughs> so we said something like, well, if you want to be your, you know, your unique snowflake, write to us and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> but, you know, just the, 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 the investment to support a few people just isn't worth it. And, yeah. you know, we're not a public utility, you know? We don't have to do this. You know, we don't have to support everybody. Um, and right now, you know, I think BlackBerry supports Android now. Uh, Windows Phone, I don't know. Does anybody know about Windows Phone? No. Um, <laughs> Crickets. It's finished. Okay, it's finished, you know. Uh, yeah. We have to, to you know, leverage the, the, the good tech out there. Yeah, definitely. What's moving forward and... Just, you know, we, we don't have enough 
Android developers right now? Like, am I gonna use one resource to do yeah. Windows? Just what about the? So you have a special key that locks um, locks the device onto the bike. What went into the development of that, and like, how did you? So yeah, one of our first insights was, was uh, we didn't want people to have to um, just you know put and remove their device all the time. Again, f for the same reason I told you earlier that you know we don't want people to think about technology, and you know it's just not nice from a UX perspective to have to do this all the time. Um, so we really had a strong um, opinion about having the device stay. On, on the handlebar, and we looked everywhere from some type of lock that would work. Initially, we thought like those could be screws, like special screws, uh, you know, with a fancy head. Uh, I've seen that, you know, yeah. could work. Um, but then, if you need to charge, you know, from time to time, then you're gonna screw and unscrew, and then at some time, at some point, the screw might not work anymore. Yeah. And yeah, we looked so many options, and at some point, my partner was looking on Google images, like magic lock, you know, he was just out of ideas, you know, and he found something and he looked closer and the company building these locks, they were magnetic locks. They were on the same street as us, you know, but we looked everywhere <laughs> and, and, and these guys, they were building locks for prisons and we were like, that could work. Sure. You know? And, and so we worked with them to integrate into our design, something that was small enough to fit in there. And we were like, Whoa, we solved this problem. Nice. And then we realized this was affecting really badly the magnetometer on the device. So oh, you know, wow. we, we solved one problem and then we were breaking something else. Yep. Um, but we figured it out in the end, but, um, it, this is what I guess is hard with hardware is, is this integration phase where you have one person working on the circuit and that other person working on the plastics and it's usually not the same person and sometimes they're gonna enter situations where it's like no you change your circuit no you change your plastic <laughs> right and and it's and we had to make some compromises and you know i'm happy with the product it, it's a bit bigger than i wanted uh, yeah. initially and we had to make some choices just to just to be able to fit the thing and fit the circuit, fit the battery, fit the lock. Um, and there's a bunch of different forks and handlebars and everything. Like, that must have been a tough thing. To, did you try out like all the different styles to make sure it fit? Yeah, what's what's good is there's there's about three standards for handlebars. So for the, the width, um, so it's about all the same. So we yeah. include in the box like all the spacers that you need uh, for this. Now, if you have like a banded handlebar, doesn't always work great. Or if you have one of those folding bikes, yeah, not great. But otherwise, it's like from our experience, it's about ninety-eight percent of all bikes will fit, which is fine. You know. Thanks for listening to the Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 